I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house. Even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite- Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about other podcasts and also about pop culture, true crime, journalism, and this week, a pair of reviews. We'll talk about a new take on the Unabomber, courtesy of the Discovery Channel, as well as the return of the slick cinematic podcast, Homecoming, from Gimlet Media. Joining me to get that and a whole lot more done is my true crime co-author, real-life husband, and host of These Are Their Stories, the Law & Order podcast, Kevin Flynn. Good evening, Kevin. Here's my vocal authentication. Uh, <laughs> thanks. Just don't start singing the uh, Star Spangled Banner, please. <laughs> also <Becky>. with us, <laughs> also with us is journalist, true crime author, licensed private investigator, former defense investigator, certified cat lady, and certified parrot head. Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Fins up, Rebecca. Ooh. <laughs> it's Parrothead talk, I think. It, it is, yes. And finally, our favorite sayer who loves to say nay, the brilliant novelist behind the City Trilogy and the co-host of the Radio Free Dystopia podcast, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Howdy. Well, it's been a couple of weeks since we've talked, guys. Two. It's been two. That's a couple. Is that a couple? Okay. <laughs> uh, just, it's a long time. It's it a is, fortnight. It is a long time. Toby, did you catch any subsequent Game of Thrones episodes <laughs> after our Game of Thrones without context, you know nothing, Toby Ball session two weeks ago? I watched like 20 minutes of one. Did you formulate any questions while you're watching that 20 minutes of one? Oh, I didn't realize I was supposed to. <laughs> um, <laughs> it did all seem pretty straightforward. It's true. It's true. Well, what has everybody been up to? Uh, Laura, what have you been up to? Were you at the lake? You went to Jimmy Buffett stuff? Yeah, we're having our, it's kind of the parrot head season here. So we went to a (laughs) Jimmy Buffett tribute band (laughs) last weekend. Um, It's hardcore. It's like Jimmy Buffett light. So like the tailgating, like there was nobody out directing traffic with dildos like you might see at a regular Jimmy Buffett show. Um, (laughs) You might have to bleep that. Um, So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so that was that was a fun time. And, uh, you know, besides that, we're in like the uh, summer camp work and, we, you know, school's coming up, which is really sad. I got to say, Laura, when you say Jimmy Buffett light, all I think of is Jimmy Buffett is Jimmy Buffett light. Right. Am I, am I wrong? <laughs> <laughs> no, if, if you haven't been to a concert it's really quite a scene in the parking lot. So going to this was like the light version of the real parking lot scene. Wow. Like there was no water slides. There was no old men wearing coconut bras. Um, they did have a few everything. games. <laughs> I know. I did do the shot ski. The shot um, ski, that was, yeah. The shot ski. That was a fun time. But there was, you know, there was no like spin the wheel and show us your boobies uh, games going on at this concert. Jesus. Wow. All I right. know, huh? Yeah, it sounds like I'm, I'm a fan of the wrong bands. <laughs> Holy cow. And to match that experience, Toby Ball. <laughs> what have you been They didn't have Toby? that stuff at Metallica. <laughs> the actual Metallica they should have. Yeah, yeah. So, Toby, what have you been up to? Anything interesting going on in your world? It's been a pretty quiet couple of weeks. In late, we'll working. be gone? <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes. Like, we'll be gone. Yes, you've been working. Oh, guess what else Toby has not been exposed to? What? Prairie Home Companion? companion yes. <laughs> like, oh my God. Uh, Prairie Home Companion Toby? without context? Yeah, I've avoided that as much as possible. Well, congratulations um, to you on that. Yeah, no, it's been super quiet. I've just been working and, uh, and doing some writing and it's been hot and I wish I had a better story for you. What about you, Kevin? What have you been up to? Uh, you don't know? <laughs> I'm trying to be continuing oh, for okay. purposes of this podcast. This is the chit chat? Oh portion. well, we we took our family vacation to uh, to Plum Island. Yes, where the women are strong, <laughs> not the men the, are good looking. Uh, we, we should be clear that and the children are above average. It's not the Plum Island of Hannibal Lecter fame, where all the lepers were sent. Remember that in Silence of the Lambs, they were going to send him to Plum yes. Island. That oh. was like the carrot they held out in front of him. Different Plum Island guys. I don't know. There's Which that Plum Island is this. Plum Island Newburyport. off Newburyport. Yeah, off of Mount Newburyport, Massachusetts. Oh, oh, that one. Yeah. However, it's no, near a nice. salt you know? marsh. And it has like this time of year that we go is it's infamous for the infestation flies. of the greenhead flies. Which are not oh, they're yeah. they're non issue. Which come through and unlike mosquitoes or horse flies, they come in and they like not only bite but they tear. It hurts a lot. That's how they draw blood and people just like I, I read an article. No, like your two mom days read before, an article and my mom read an article, <laughs> sent it to me. I read the article like two days before we and left. You panicked. And I was like, Where can I find a hundred percent deet, <laughs> and uh, but we ended up getting there, and there wasn't. Uh, I think I saw three green. Yeah, in a whole week. Yeah, and I didn't get. Hey, bit. did you see Montel Williams? No. no. Do you know that he has a home on Plum Island? Shut it! Really? Really? Yes, yes, he does. Huh? I did not see any people so, of color on Plum Island. I'll be totally straight so with you. So next year, <laughs> you guys should do like a scouting mission and see we if should. Montel's there. We should. I will tell yeah. you, if this podcast ever becomes super successful, like I'm totally going to buy a house on Plum Island. I love oh, it okay, there. Yeah. It's it's totally going to be in the ocean in like five or ten years, but it is. It's just a fun, easygoing, not fancy place. It's my kind of place, not fancy. At the beach, good time. So anyway, I endorse it. Plum Island. Hashtag Plum Island for our listeners. Or something. <laughs> well, let me just I just want to throw one note out about what we've been up to, what I've been up to, because I know I teased this a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. My HGTV and me podcast. It is in production. Yep. And there will be more information hitting your podcast feeds about it soon. Please subscribe to HGTV and me and stay tuned for more trailers and more announcements about when that first episode is dropping. It's coming out pretty good. You've heard it, Kevin. What do you think? I like what you've been up to. Yes. And the Only- best part is that I'm not really involved. No, except for when I drag you <laughs> yeah, in yeah, and yeah, make yeah, you yeah, be. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, let's get the show started. We have two big topics tonight. First off, we're talking about a made-for-TV series called Manhunt, Unabomber. The Discovery Channel has launched a new eight-part miniseries called Manhunt, colon, Unabomber. It looks at the FBI investigation for the serial bomber, the Unabomber. The story focuses on a profiler named Fitz. It opens with him living in a secluded shack, just like Ted Kaczynski did when he's approached by his old bosses at the FBI. These were the same guys who didn't believe his approach, which caught the Unabomber, and now they need him to come out of seclusion to help close the case. So we open with a guy who looks just like the Unabomber, living in a secluded cabin, only to find out that it's the FBI profiler who helped catch him, who's now gone off the grid, and all of his old bosses are there to convince him to come out of retirement to finish the job. If this weren't based on a real story, Kevin, yeah. how much of a cliche would this be? Oh, my God. I <laughs> Totally a cliche. <laughs> I really hope that happened in real life. You know, he's there and they show up and, you know, we need you to come back in for one more <laughs> thing. It's like, come back, Shane. Come back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I do want to get to our commentary and criticism of the show itself in uh-huh. a minute. But first, I want to talk about the case. Uh-huh. Uh, Laura, did you remember this when this whole Unabomber thing was going on? I have to say I really didn't. I think I was still in high school probably when this first started or when, when it was more in the news as they were catching him. And, uh, you know, not a lot of access to media up in Vermont. So I really didn't follow the case too much. Now, Toby, you know a little bit more about this case because you did some research about it for one of your books. Can you tell us about that? I've always thought it was it was kind of an interesting case and... When I was doing some research for my third book, I uh, read a book, which I think is called Harvard and the Unabomber, but it's by a guy who I think was a classmate. This is like 
seven or eight years ago that I read this. Kaczynski went to Harvard when he was 16 Mm -hmm. and he was like a small sort of overly shy kid and was really sort of completely alienated at Harvard. And I can't remember if he's alleging this or whether this definitely happened, but he took part in some psychological experiments that uh, a guy at Harvard was undertaking that I think may have involved giving him LSD yep. and is this project called MK Ultra. So part of it was about that. And then the other part about Harvard is that apparently when he was there is when they started doing this sort of required curriculum um, that had you take philosophy, all these, these different courses, sort of core courses. And uh, the guy who wrote this book said that for anybody who is paying attention, like the two sort of big themes that came out of this were technology and modernity is sort of inherently alienating for people. And then the other thing is technology is just on the increase and is advancing and it's just never going to stop. This guy's sort of thesis in the book is that the combination of him being young and isolated, him being given psychedelic drugs as part of a psychological test, and then finally him having taking these courses that that kind of leave you with this sense of despair about the future and modernity, that all these things, like it was a completely understandable reaction that he would sort of retreat from the world. Right. Now, I when we were watching the show the other night, I revisited the Unabomber Manifesto. It's available online. It's very easy to find. Just Google it. And yes, I mean, all of that is there. And the other thing that really strikes me about it, reading it today is how insane it seemed when it came out. But reading it now, there's a lot in it that... I'm not saying that he wasn't a violent killer because, you know, he did send bombs to people and he killed people. But he's not wrong in a lot of the manifesto in terms of, like, the consequences of technology. And remember, this was, like, pre-everything we have now. Pre-iPhone, pre-a lot of the environmental technologies, pre-a lot of what we know about climate change and Toby, does that strike you too? That like, not that I'm not saying this manifesto is like something we should all read and enjoy, but like, some of the ideas in there do kind of ring true, given what's happened since then. Right, and I don't know how much the show gets into this later, but when he was uh, after he was captured and he was on trial, he was very adamant that he did not want to have an insanity defense. He said, "I'm perfectly sane. You know, these are my beliefs that I've written out." You know, sort of one of the interesting questions, I think, around the Unabomber is the idea that you sort of pathologize dissent or like sort of radical belief. Mm -hmm. You know, he was violent and he, you know, he deserved to be caught and, and locked up or whatever. But the idea that because he held these beliefs, he was insane, that's sort of an interesting question. And I think it was something that was kind of put out there, like, here's this crazy guy, and he certainly looked crazy. But I think sort of the narrative ended up being, you know, this crazed maniac with these crazy beliefs doing this stuff. And in fact, I think there's a strong argument to be made that he had sort of very rational beliefs that he acted on irrationally. Right, right. That the pathology wasn't the beliefs, it was the action. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I I do think about like the Oklahoma City bomber and like all these other, you know, typically when you have somebody with a manifesto who commits a crime, it's either insane or it is a set of beliefs that's very fringe. Like, you know, I think like Alex Jones stuff, mm-hmm. like extremely right wing or extremely left wing. Uh, yeah, but this is. I don't know. It's interesting. I I would say to our listeners, if you want to watch the series, it is worth looking up the manifesto online. You don't have to read the whole thing. You can just read the thesis at the beginning, which is also like several pages long. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and you kind of get a sense of of what it is that we're talking about. Discovery Channel is obviously trying to reinvent itself in some way with this show. I saw it described online as a show that is blurring the line between reality TV and and a traditional scripted series. This is a true crime documentary using some of the elements Uh, of reality TV, like with reenactment style. uh, Really? You don't see that? No, I do not see that at all. It's a movie of the week thing. Is that what you see? I don't see any element of reality TV, and I don't... Okay. Yeah, I don't... Did you watch the show? Yes, I watched the show. I was there. What What reality TV... They're all actors... 
Yeah, that, I mean, there that's was what it is. no Matt yeah. Lauer. There was a clip of the real Matt Lauer with hair that's and true. Dan Rather. That's true. Yeah. And was like, Brian Williams yeah. and the uh, mm-hmm. uh, God bless him, Peter Jennings. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but that's no different than the OJ. <laughs> it's true. The OJ well, thing. Yeah, I think it's more like the OJ story that we watched with Ross from Friends and also the Jean Benet movies. I, I think it's just this sort of new trend we're seeing where it seems like networks are going back to these old cases that you know now are 20 30 years old or whatever and doing like a fictionalized serialized format of them in the quote true crime genre and and really stylizing them when they put them together because this seems to be like the third one I think that we've done that's a pretty similar approach to an old case don't you guys agree yeah I don't have a problem with you know picking this up as a subject right you know I think it's it's, it's obviously it's it's a huge case so there's a lot there what I don't know – now, I saw a little two-minute video they had about – it was called Authenticity. Yeah. And they're talking about in the production values, like all of those documents are reproduction. They're not just props. They're all reproductions of actual Unabomber uh, letters and documents and, you know, the, the models for the bombs and whatnot are super accurate. The story, I don't know exactly how many liberties they took with telling the story because – you must expect that they will. Right, because they're always doing something. Yeah, right. I mean, right. And, but I mean, there were so many cliches, like right up to the Hannibal Lecter like meeting at the end where right. Agent Fitzgerald, I'm so pleased to make your acquaintance. <laughs> you know, it's just it, it, it it's again if if this were if this were pure fiction, we I think we would just say this is absolute rubbish. Right. So I think the writing is really bad. However, I think the story is still compelling if if you can have those two things in one show. Well you also have this big cast. You have Sam Worthington, aka Jake Suley from Avatar. I see you, Jake Zuli. You have Paul Bettany, who was Russell Crowe's imaginary friend in A Beautiful Mind. And then he was oh, also yeah, yeah, in yeah. that uh, uh, tennis movie. And then he was also married to Jennifer Connelly for a while. You have Elizabeth Reeser, who was that lady whose face was crushed on Grey's Anatomy. She's been in lots of other things, too. And you have Jane Lynch, uh, apparently, who's going to be in it, who I don't think we've seen yet, right? Yes, Janet Reno. Oh, she's Janet Reno. Yeah. Okay, I get it now. Uh, so lots and of, Chris yeah. Knopf. And Mr. Big. Yes, Chris Knopf. Yeah. Yes, lots of great haze that guy's in addition. And so it's a real cast. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot sort of reality meets fiction thing, I think that's a common effect that this is a Discovery Channel production and what they're known for are those cheesy docu-series, right? That's what they're known for is like those reality TV recreation things. They have Discovery ID. Yeah, yeah those Week. are spinoff. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's like the regular Discovery channels, like the channel my husband watches all the time, and I'm like, oh, here we go again, Alaska, the Bush people, or you know, I think that's on this channel. You know? Yeah, I think it is too. Yeah, I think it's like saying, oh, there's this wonderful forest, you, you know, in this part of the state where there shouldn't be a forest. Right. It's a beautiful forest. Enjoy the forest. Don't matter. It, it does. You know. <laughs> It's like, this is on the Discovery Channel. That, that, that doesn't matter. Well, we talked about that when we talked about, you know, things that have been other places. It's not Yeah, because irrelevant. those things suck. <laughs> right? It's not just because this is the channel you'll find it on. Right. You right. know? Yeah. I thought the whole thing was, at least the first two episodes, were super lazy. I think they took the Unabomber and basically, like, kind of plugged it into a formula. Mm-hmm. And yeah you know, hit play. Right. Explain uh, the formula. What's the formula, Toby? You can just go right down the line. But, you know, he's like the brilliant outsider. He's the oldest one in his class. He makes a sacrifice by leaving his family after spending four months You're talking about the profiler, right? You're talking about the yeah. profiler. Yeah, the profiler. He faces doubters right off the bat <laughs> and proves himself <laughs> against them. They're right, trying to corrupt them. him. Yes. Do, just, you know, cut some corners, do this, and he refuses to do it. He has a plucky sidekick mm-hmm. who's also <laughs> sort of an outsider and that she's a woman. You know, you can just get, kind of go on and on. It's like um, a slow motion and, version of the sabotage video by the Beastie Boys. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The chief's always just, angry. Yeah. And then it's just like, it is hard to film people thinking, mm-hmm. you know. It's hard to film people making deductions about what they're looking at. The lazy way of doing it is to have somebody walk around and talk all his thoughts to an empty room, right. which is exactly what they do. And th- there's just so many other, like, also lazy but not quite as stupid ways of doing it, mm-hmm. which they decline to do. So anyway, I just kind of felt like this could have been about almost anything. Mm-hmm. Pick your crime. You've got the basic formula, and you just plug in the details. You know, some of this stuff, 
you know, the whole thing where there's a profile about the airline mechanic from Cincinnati, that was the number was the one profile. Yeah, yeah. But they had a bunch of profiles, including the one that this guy supposedly kind of comes up with in a couple of days sitting by himself. That was put forth at the very beginning and kind of discarded and then picked up again. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not totally clued in as to all the details of this, but it seems like they're kind of collapsing a few characters into this guy fits. Yep. And then also kind of, you know, just switching around accuracy so that it fits this really kind of stale formula, uh, which must be super easy to write if you've written like 10 of them. Well, how many times have we seen a scene in a show, in any show, whether it's like a procedural or even a movie of a guy sitting alone in the room with hundreds of eight by 10 photographs surrounding him yeah with like a line and it's like one thing missing were the yarn things going from this to that one i I probably see that later i I just think of like the practicalities of any investigation when i look at something like this because i am very critical and i do like when the practicalities of an investigation are part of an investigative show and i just think like were those prints are do they already exist or do you have to call like the fbi photo lab and be like i need eight by tens of every photograph we've ever had in this file well, to make it, it's like it, nobody on the task force was interested in any of that. <laughs> they're like they had their profile. They're sitting around. They're they're all. It's like no one's going to read this important piece of paper. And when he walked into the building where the task force was, and it was like he was all cowed by it. I'm like, that's an office with cubicles with like 15 people right. in it. Like, what how about is the so exposition about dump, which was the uh, task force PowerPoint the meeting? Yes, the meeting. Yeah. Everybody's yeah. been here for months, but let's start over with new guys. Why is this thing called it's the a, Unabomber? Yeah, it was the <laughs> Unabomber. Let me go through every day. Click, 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 click. And by the way, in, in like '97, that would have been a like a pretty rudimentary PowerPoint, right? There'd be no no like uh, high definition crossfades and whatnot. It's not like uh, modern day SVU. Yeah, there'd be no like uh, Kelly. Giddish, yeah. floating slides back and forth. But I, I, I do want to talk about something: the laziness and all these tropes that we're talking about that are obviously bothering us. It does play into what the plot of this thing is about, which is something that's come up on the show before, and I can't wait to tweet about it tomorrow after the oh, show drops. No. This story about effing profilers, right? So this first episode of this series, Manhunt does an amazing job simultaneously trashing profiling and deifying profiling, right? Like you have these profilers graduating at Quantico and even the guy who's giving the graduation speech is like, most people think what we do is garbage, (laughs) but you are the best of the best at doing this garbage thing that nobody believes in. And then when the guy fits, gets to the task force, they show him the huge pile of discarded shitty profiles that didn't work to catch this guy. And then we are supposed to believe that he comes up with a magic one that actually solves it. As if We don't know that yet. Well, I think that's kind of where it's going because we see him meeting with, like, we know that he solved the case. That's what we're told, yeah. right? Well, I mean, I think Fitz has one very important piece of the puzzle that those other profilers didn't, which is the manifesto. Is that he's smart? Is that no, well, smart? no, but I mean, he said it's fifty-three pages of the guy's thoughts. It's not like we're trying to deduce who he is by the kind of firing pin that he solders. Wait, you know? are you are you saying that a profile has never by itself solved a crime? <laughs> Oh. Well, it seems like in this case, it seems like I, I don't, I abort, don't, abort. yeah. Look, I haven't Sorry. seen all the episodes, and I don't know the guy's story. Right. But it's, but as I recall, the way he was captured was they put the manifesto in the New York Times, right? And Kaczynski's brother read it and said, "That sounds like my brother." Yeah. Right. So to the and extent, then he hired his own like lawyer and tried to get it solved on his own. Right. And it sounds like Fitz is the one. I mean, I read a, a quick interview with, uh, with with the guy, the real life, uh, is it James Fitzgerald? If, you know, that he said he was the one who argued with his supervisors to put it out there. Right. That, that it would be beneficial right. to put it out there. And I think the scene that we end up, we're going to see with Jane Lynch as Janet Reno's probably that discussion is to publish it. Right. So it seems like, I don't know, but it's probably that the... <laughs> I don't see how the profile that he came up with actually had anything to do with how he was eventually captured, other than the idea that we need to get this out there, because there are identifying things in here, but somebody must know it. I I think there's a little more to that. I think when they put that out there, it wasn't just 
Ted Kaczynski's brother who said, oh, that's my brother. Like they're, they got a whole bunch of people saying, I know who this person is and submitting evidence. Ah. And then what Fitz did is he went through all these different uh, submissions and was able to pick Ted Kaczynski out of them. Right. Like out of these like 10,000 leads, who's an academic? And who it's was like, a, it's yeah. this guy. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's where he gets the I solved it is that he was given a whole bunch of options and he was able to pick the right one. Right. Well, I will say this. And um, this has come up on our show before. This whole thing about profiling mm-hmm. science versus BS. Is it a tool? Is it the key? Any tweets you guys have that you want to send about that, send them to me because I'm the one who brought it up on the show. But Toby did, by the way, send me a note as he was watching this saying, oh, I can't believe, uh, I can't wait to hear you talk about the fictionalization of profilers once again on our podcast. But yeah, to me, what strikes me is that this show is doing the same thing that we've seen over and over and over again, where somehow the profiler is seen as the most interesting key figure. Laura, what do you think of that? I mean, you don't have to. Yeah, no. You don't have to. You don't have to draw any fire on Twitter. But what do you think of that? No, I agree. You know, as you're watching it and you're watching a profiler in this show, in what's a real dramatized version of this case and an investigation, you kind of feel like, ooh, he knows the answer. He's gonna <laughs> like he's gonna figure it out. And you're watching it in this way where you're kind of you know rooting for this guy to have this like mind secret where he's going to know exactly what's going on. So I look at it more like it's really interesting to think that somebody could just be like, you know, intuitive enough to figure this out. Oh, here comes the train. We hear it. Um, It's exciting. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's a big night here. Um, But yeah, I really feel like in this particular show, it's dramatized in such a way that it doesn't seem like real life to me in terms of the actual powers of a profiler. Right. Because they don't have actual powers. They're just people. Well, I, I think but I wish you, they did. That would be so interesting if there was like a super mind hunter. <laughs> Wait, isn't there a show like that? Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Well, like criminal mind. I think the reason that, and I actually am very fascinated by profiling. I think it's very interesting since Sherlock Holmes we as a society have been interested in the smart guy who will deduce and see the things that we didn't see. And that's why there are shows like Criminal Minds and why, you know, the Hannibal Lecter series is so interesting. Is it perfect? No, it's not. And I think it also proves the point. I also think the show also is proving your point to some extent that they were working off some bad profiles and were stuck in the mindset right. that even great profilers like John Douglas, who they specifically pulled out, showed his profile was bad. Right. So they were stuck working with bad information. Right. So a good profile will put you in the right direction. Right. It's an art and it's not a science. And I I think you're right. No one ever like found a fingerprint and solved the crime because of the thing they had to match the fingerprint to something right no profiling in of itself doesn't all of a sudden say oh it's you know kevin flynn it's kevin flynn <laughs> but it's, it's somebody who has x y or z right and when we're looking at the four of us right you know sitting here on the panel it's like well you know who's the guy you know who gets angry with his wife i mean everybody knows it's me well everyone but you're what you're talking about and this is you know just to be clear about it my issue with profiling as it is portrayed in the media is that it is based on that Sherlock Holmes fantasy that somebody can look at things and know something. And that is a fantasy. That power of deduction that is so acute that you can walk through a room and say, the person who walked through here before me is the youngest of four children. And I know that. Like, it doesn't, that's not, it's not real. Well, I, th- I think you're exaggerating right. a little bit. Right. Look, uh, okay, you find a dead guy, he's been shot, you'll go through his belongings, and in his wallet is all of his money. Mm-hmm. What do you deduce from that? That it wasn't a robbery. Okay. That's, that's the that's only your pro- thing I deduce from that. Really? Okay. He got shot and he hurt somebody, and the guy took off before he had a chance to take the money. You just made the same mistake. Exactly. But you also already came up with a profile based on one little bit of information. I don't think it's junk. I agree with Kevin, but I think it's like a tool and investigation that can maybe help you sort of when you're stuck and you're stagnated and you don't have any leads. It's another 
avenue to go down to try to kind of jog people's minds into thinking about the case differently and maybe, you know, seeing something that they didn't see before as they're investigating. Um, but I'm, I'm fascinated by all the psychological aspects of, you know, people that commit crimes and kind of their psychological makeup. So I find it interesting, but I think it's like one piece. And I think the issue that has come up is when, you know, you think that's the only piece. Um, right. That's where the danger comes. And I think that's what a lot of this media makes it appear to be. I, I think there is value to having people who have sort of voluminous knowledge about trends and tendencies in crimes so that they're able to take a look at a crime and then have a whole bunch of things they can compare it to. And then based on that, come to some conclusions that they can sort of put forth as suggestions. Like that, to me, makes sense. And I, and I think to a certain extent, that's a lot of what profiling does. Criminology, the idea is that, that what you're talking about? Like using data to... Well, I don't think it's like typing in and being like, how many, you know, hammer attacks by on, you know, whatever. But I think it is the idea that you have this enormous context with which you're taking a look at different things. The whole like getting inside the mind of a killer thing, that's... Unless you're using that as like a, a metaphor, like a real, like, I guess, not very apt metaphor, that's the kind of thing that I have a hard time getting behind. Mm -hmm. And I also think there's a tendency, again, like I think you're saying to say, like, this solved this crime, th that solved this crime with profiling. I, I could be wrong, but the little bit that I've seen is that they tend to, once the guy is caught through other means, they're like, oh, yeah, well, my profile was dead on. <laughs> And there's so, I mean, there, and there's value to that, but it's different than, you know, finding the right guy and putting the cuffs on him. Right, right. Well, I think this might be a, I don't know, maybe a podcast first. I'm on hashtag Team Toby tonight. Team Toby. <laughs> Rebecca and Toby, the new super team of crime. Yeah, I guess that means it's Laura and I, so. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. There you go. It's an interesting debate, and I'd love for it to continue maybe on our Facebook page. We could put a prompt up and just see what people think. And I don't, I don't, just Kevin, your opinion is your opinion, and like I've said many times before, like, too many of the, like, huge profiling fans out there, good for you. I'm not. And that's just, and it's fine. I actually uh, think that history has shown that profilers have done a very good job of being able to tell what the criminal will do next, what his, how he will perform his sure, next crime sure. based on certain things. And that also can lead to who, you know, how, you know, why, whatever, that, that can lead to that. Right. But you said there are just some basic behaviors that uh, they're able to uh, pin down and sort of get to. Hey, we said an SVU place. all the time. It's a pattern, right? That's, yep. He's escalating. That's he's escalating. All, yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah. all right. Well, I think I have a sense of this from our brief conversation, which got a little bit sidetracked, I think on purpose, because we didn't want to talk too much about the actual show, <laughs> Manhunt Unabomber. But I'm just going to do a quick turn around the panel. Would you recommend to our listeners that they check out Manhunt, Unabomber, and will you continue to watch it? Toby, I'm going to start with you. No on all counts. <laughs> all right, Laura, how about you? I'm saying no as well. I'm not going to keep watching. <laughs> I will not gonna, I'm not going to recommend that you watch. I am personally going to keep watching because I do really like Paul Bettany and I want to see more of him. And I hear just from reading about the show that his performance is really good. So I'm going to watch it for that reason, but I can't rececommend to our listeners that they check out Manhunt Unabomber. What about you, Kevin? Like I said, I think the writing's very bad. The plot line is very cheesy. <laughs> However, I'm going to continue watching it. Oh, good, because we're together. Because so. <laughs> I just sort of like, you know, from a point of history, I want to know. And I'm it's a little taking, soapy. Yeah, I mean, I think there's some uh, some edges there that might be a little rough, and there's a lot, I, I assuming there are definitely some embellishments and liberties taken, but I'm still interested in sort of the behind-the-scenes thing. I guess now I'm like intrigued as to why Fitz the Profiler all of a sudden leaves the FBI and essentially becomes, becomes that, yeah, Gajinsky, <laughs> uh, you know, living in the woods, you know, growing a beard, isolated from society. I think you do that and you're so far off the grid, it's very hard to get deliveries from plated. <laughs> Because I don't know how they would find him in that shack That's way why out he's there. Rabbits, because he can't get plated. Yeah, that is like not the way to go. Plated is the meal kit for people who love food. You can choose from 15 chef-designed recipes each week that are sent right to your door. Maybe even if you live in the distant woods, right. I don't know. But if you happen to live in something like a house or an apartment where there's asphalt leading to where you you're you're good. You're absolutely good. You have great meals like Malaysian fish curry and mm. lamb shakshuka from Morocco. 
So you basically get to travel the world right in your kitchen. Laura, I know you're a big fan of plated and it's changed the way that you guys cook and eat. It has. I love plated because it kind of breaks me out of my rut in terms of what I'm eating. And, you know, since we've been using it, they have greatly expanded their menu. They used to have like six menu choices every week. Now they have a, many more choices of things to that you can select from every week. And they also have these like encore recipes. So recipes that are really popular when people rate them. Um, for like one month, they'll have like four encore recipes. So if there's something you really love, you can get it every single week. And they also have a ton of veggies, which is really nice. So discover your ideal dinner experience. Go to plated.com slash crime and get 50% off your first plated box. That's 50% off for a limited time only. Terms apply. See plated.com slash crime for details. That's at plated.com slash crime. Crime. Sorry, I was drinking wine. Oh, crime. Crime. <laughs> uh, anything else, Kevin? Well, I just got to say, like, if you're living in that shack with no electricity, no TV, I guess the only thing you can really do is read a good book. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, which is why that the Unabomber should have had a subscription to Book of the Month. It's a rapidly growing service with a simple goal to make sure that you love what you read. So each month you get five top choices, and you can get the next best seller for just 10 bucks. For new hardcover releases that are usually $15 or $20, it's a great value. Toby, you've been doing Book of the Month. What do you think? It is, the book recommendations they have are, are really good. So I hadn't heard of any of these books. And then once I started doing a little reading about them, I had narrowed it down to three and three that I was really interested in reading. And I ended up getting a book called The Blinds by Adam Sternberg. But all the selections are books that I could see reading, and then three of them are books that I probably will read at, at some point. Yeah, cool. you, you can get a book once a month or every five or six months. It's Those exclusive prices stay, and you can save tons. So Flexible. Book of the Month is bound to delight, and get your first book for $10 at bookofthemonth.com slash crimewriters. That's bookofthemonth.com slash crimewriters. Bookofthemonth.com slash crimewriters. That's what I said. <laughs> Now we're going to talk about Homecoming. This is the dramatized podcast from Gimlet Media, a.k.a. the HBO of podcast networks. It's back for its second season. Homecoming boasts an impressive cast, including Katherine Keener, Oscar Isaac, and Ross from Friends, David Schwimmer. He's coming up again in this podcast mm-hmm. for the second time. It's incredible. The disorienting thriller picks up, we think, where it left off, with both Colin and Heidi hunting for Walter Cruz, who may be starting to remember what happened to him in the Homecoming Initiative, which I hope our fans by this point have listened to the first season, was an initiative for veterans where they were essentially erasing the memories of stuff that went down in the battlefront, and it was super creepy. Getting rid of their PTSD so they can go back and fight some more. Exactly. So one of the unique things about the podcast this season, A, is that it has no ads, hello, except for they're promoting this ebook that they are doing as a companion to the podcast. Now, Laura, I know that you've been really interested in this ebook companion. Have you actually taken a look and read any of them? I have, actually. I, I haven't read this week's. Um, I didn't have time to do that. Yeah, I was interested because it seems like, you know, as as we talk about podcasts and how different stories are being told by podcasts, it's really how, you know, people are consuming media and how that's changing. And so this is really interesting because it's told from a different perspective, the ebook. It's told from Walter's perspective. And the timeline is different. It is actually occurring before the phone calls and the action that we're hearing in the actual podcast. Hmm. Has anyone else read it? No, no. I, I haven't. Okay. Nope. And they're very short. They call it an ebook, but each chapter takes you like less than five minutes to read. So it's just adding a little bit more context in terms of what happened before what we're hearing in the podcast and also giving us a little bit more of insight into the character of Walter and, you know, how he ended up going into the military. So it's, it's interesting because it's like you can listen to the podcast without reading the ebook and it's not going to affect your understanding of what's happening in the story. But if you read the ebook, it definitely does give you a little bit more, actually a lot more context as you're listening to things unfold 
in the actual audio version. Now, this is the fourth or fifth podcast, Homecoming, that we've received news in our Google feeds that is being developed into a television show. Oh. I believe that Lore or Enter Night Vale, um, Serial we know was optioned. I don't know whatever happened to that. Oh, folks. Every podcast is being looked at for TV. Tannis, which, by the way, Crime Writers on? No, not ours. <laughs> no, we <laughs> took a play call. Us? <laughs> I, I'm serious. We, we every podcast. I don't want to say every podcast. A lot of podcasts. Yeah, our friend Brooke Giddings, who does the actual mm. uh, Innocence podcast, mm. she's actually doing a podcast for a TV network now. Yeah, I mean, it definitely is this weird crossover. I just want a quick side note. I got the news that Tannis was being developed as a TV show, and I hadn't. I've actually dropped off listening to Tannis only because not because I don't like it, because I got so I have so many things mm-hmm. I have to listen to. So I picked up Tannis from about five or six episodes ago, and I think they have a new showrunner. I'm not sure. These recent episodes of Tannis have been like knocking it out of the park. I don't know if I just I just want to say that as a side note. If our listeners, if you stop listening to Tannis or whatever, listen to Tannis. It is super freaking good right now. Anyway, so they're being optioned to a TV mm-hmm. show. We heard this show is being an option to a TV show. It's connected to Julia Roberts. Kevin, what do you think of this trend of podcasts now being the source material? And do you think these books it's like the other perspective. It's like the ch- it's like well, scenes in a TV show, right? Yeah, I mean for a long time books were the, you know, sort of the uh, the, the the feeder system for TV and and movie adaptations. And whereas if if podcasting is an internet version of modern radio, which is a lot of talk and journalism, we haven't had an awful lot in modern radio of radio drama. Mm -hmm. And podcasting seems to be a place where that can thrive. It's an easier way of doing, of taking a story and making a TV show out of it or a movie. It's instead of doing all that, we can take six guys and go into a studio and we can make a fantastic, intriguing story. I think it's natural that like the better ones will get the attention of TV producers who are looking to option and hoping that the network will pick it up. Now, there's no guarantee that you're ever going to see any of this stuff on actual TV. Right, being an option doesn't is, mean it's happening. Does it, yeah, yeah, it just means it's in development. We're cla- yeah, we're we're staking a claim on this. Right. Well, and, and you, they could develop it, and they could even film it, and then mm-hmm. we still might never see it. That happens all the time. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we we know people that that's happened. Yeah, to. but I mean, it's obviously this is the place that they're scouting mm-hmm. because and for drama, what you know, why not? Because as opposed to just reading something on a page and wondering if this will work. Yeah. I mean, here you can hear David Schwimmer. Yeah, do a performance, and you're like, oh, yeah, it could be him or somebody else, but we could do this in a movie studio, and, you know, it would translate. One of the things that I love about Homecoming is the quality of the performances. Toby, we have Catherine Keener. We've got Ross from Friends. I'm sorry, guys. I just can't do it. David you got to call him David Schwimmer. I know. We've got Oscar Isaac. We've got... Mercedes, Mercedes Rule. Rule, who is so wonderful. Uh, Chris Gethard makes a little appearance. It's really great. Mm. You don't love Chris Gethard? I, I love do. Him. I, I just love I, him. I, I think he was. Sorry. I know. I know. But I just was, love him. I love he was his punching above his weight with this class. I'm just saying cast, the, the cast. But, but the cast yeah. is just yeah, so, fantastic. so good. Now, Toby, how much of an advantage does that give this podcast? Are you able to look at it critically and like look at the story structure stuff and be critical of it? when it's just being delivered so much better than anything else that we listen to on this show. Yes, I can. Okay, good. So tell me, tell me, <laughs> I would love to hear some of your criticisms then, Toby. Do you have any? Yeah, well, I'm kind of hoping that in the course of this conversation, you'll talk me out of my super disappointment in this. Okay. Uh, I think they basically took everything that was kind of clever about season one and got rid of it. And now it's just a pretty straightforward somewhat suspenseful, pretty standard sort of thriller type thing. Are you talking about the time jumps that they were doing in season one? Because that was the conceit of season one, was that we were sort of in these two alternate timelines and they would use a sound effect to transport you between one and the other. Yeah. And that you had to figure out as a listener which timeline you were in at any given time. Is that what you're talking about? And And it wasn't just that. It was that you didn't know how people related to each other. Like, you didn't know, like, Catherine Keener, you knew she had something to do with it, but you weren't quite clear what it was and what who David Schwimmer was. Was he a good guy or a bad guy? It, it seemed like there was so much stuff was up in the air quite a ways into the first season, whereas this season, it, it seems like it's all pretty much laid out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, I assume there'll be a twist at the end, 
you're not wondering what the fuck like, is going the on. Very, the very <laughs> basics yeah. of things. It's yeah. pretty clear what what's going on. I, I was disappointed. I thought the, I thought the first season, and I and I think I said it when we were talking about the first season that it, it's really hard to pull off this stuff where you're keeping people in the dark about so much stuff, and you've got multiple timelines going. And you're keeping all these balls in the air and keeping people interested in, and having it confusing, but not too confusing. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's a very difficult thing to pull off. What they're doing now, you know, it's hard, it's hard to write like a, a good thriller, but it's a different level. It's not as disorienting as it was before. So I, you know, I was excited when it came out and, you know, I'll keep listening to it, but you know, after listening to the first three episodes, you know, I, I think it was quite a letdown from season one. The first season did remind me of like a Christopher Nolan movie, like a good Christopher. Like it reminded that it, it had that thing that it was like it was special in that way. And mm-hmm. this is much more linear. Laura, does the linear storytelling, do you find that to be disappointing as well? I don't know if I find it to be disappointing. I definitely think that the first season was more interesting with, tr- like Toby said, trying to figure out what was going on. You know, I think the second season is more for if you listen to the first season and you were very invested invested in the characters and you want to know what happened to those characters, that's really kind of the purpose in listening to season two. Mm -hmm. You know, you're going to follow those characters and see because, you know, it did end kind of, you know, on a cliffhanger with I I can't remember how did they both take the like memory eraser right at the end of season one? Well, we learned that she that uh, Heidi had also had her memory erased and we learned that she ended up chasing. She was triggered into remembering a lot of things. And we learned that the whole program had sort of fallen apart and that Walter somebody from the the government swooped up in a car and took her away. And there was also this whole yeah, the whole mystery about the investigation with the FBI, or the FBI guys, really the FBI. A lot of that stuff was sort of hanging, yeah. hanging out there as threads. Yeah. So, you know, I think it definitely, I think season one was much more interesting in terms of the story with the twists and turns and keeping you really on your toes with trying to figure it out. And this this is really, if you really want to know what happens to those people next, but it's a much more straightforward story that doesn't have me, it just has me more like, oh, I get so irritated with Ross from Friends. He's like, he's doing a good job with his character, but I just like want to punch him. Yeah, he's a bad guy. I'm like, he's a really good at being. He's a bad awful. Guy. Yeah. I hate him. I really hate him. Yeah. So that's really consumed my listening to this season as being like, oh, fucking Ross again. Ugh. See, so. I actually disagree with Toby and with you that this season isn't delivering something different because I think it's delivering something different, but in a different way. I think this is the Easter egg season because there have been a lot of things that have happened in the three episodes that have come out so far that feel unfinished we get the phone message from the guy that we heard Catherine Keener go out with last season right Mm -hmm. and then nothing happened with that we had these weird biometric proof things that Ross from Friends has to do every time he calls Amy Sedaris and no one else has to do them only he has to do them which could be just be her messing with him, right? That was your yeah. theory. Uh, yeah. And we have the FBI so-called investigation where this guy keeps trying to draw her in, and then she dropped that. I think there's something else going on that's going to be revealed that will be a page-turning thing. I'm not giving up on the cleverness just because it's not presented in that same inception sort of style. What do you think, Kevin? Yeah, I'm going to disagree with the other panelists that I'm liking this season. You know, we got the introduction of who the characters were. Now we're seeing that play out. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, there's still a lot of questions in the plot, although as you go along, you start answering them. Why is it so important to get Walter? Right. And why are they playing Colin and Heidi against each other? And we don't know anything about what Heidi forgot about. And why is he in a cult now, that dude, Walter? Well, we don't, yeah, you call it a cult. (laughs) I don't don't know. know. I mean, there's still, I I think you're just sort of advancing the story. Season one was sort of a tour de force of storytelling devices between audio tapes of um, therapy therapy sessions and video surveillance and, you know, telephone messages and and whatnot. And, And this, right, is a little more action with, you know, we're just moving from here to there. The telephone calls are interesting. I do love David Schwimmer's portrayal of his, his character. He's so good at being a, a sort of, guy. He's yeah, so good at it. As sort of like being like the evil douche, you know, and... Poor Becky, right? Poor Becky, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I, it, I mean, it was really funny, like in, in the first season where like he was always on the telephone, he was always distracted by something. It added to a lot of tension. I don't think there's, right now we're at the same level of tension, but, you know, the acting is just so good. What are Catherine Keener's lines? 
Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Like on paper, like that is so boring. So boring. She brings something to that. Yeah. That very few actresses can, and it just you know it really. It, 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 oh, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm really liking the performances. I want to see where it goes. I want to talk about the Amy Sedaris character, okay? <laughs> Amy Sedaris plays uh, Ross from Friends' boss. Temple. Temple, yes. Audrey Temple. She is just either the best or the worst. We don't quite know yet. Her ability to deliver an acerbic takedown on the phone and just do it like... Now, phone tape, for a second, as an aside is the bane of an audio producer's existence. This show lives and is built on phone calls. Mm -hmm. So we get, like, almost all the dialogue happens over the phone, and there are these incredible sound design moments where you're hearing one end of a phone call, then it transitions, like, through the phone line, and then you hear, you know, Ross... cross-fades into... Late, live, like, live from the phone booth, and then it cross-fades. Can you stop calling him Ross? I can't. I can't. Okay. All right. I'm sorry, Colin. You can't do Colin. Colin. Uh, I can't. I can't either, Rebecca. It will always be. That yeah, that's way. why they can't cast him in the TV. Wait, one. Maybe they can. Remember, we were talking about the O.J. Simpson thing. We were also calling him Ross. You can't yeah. not do it. He's Ross. Yeah. Well, this is the second performance I've seen him in. Like, really rise above. You know, Ross. Being, yeah, rise above Ross. So. <laughs> I have a friend who actually went to the same college as Ross and said that the Ross character was actually not like his real personality. His real personality was much more like the character he plays in Homecoming. Ooh. Which was kind of interesting. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I was, so, so the Laura, what do you think of the Amy Sedaris character? Do you like her as much as I do? I do like her. I do like her. I like her because I don't know if she's a good or bad character yet, and I haven't figured that out because she plays it so well. We think, you know, Colin is, is the puppet master. And it's mm-hmm. like, no, it's not that. It's, she's the puppet master. And yeah. find out who's gonna who's pulling her strings. Now, Toby, you know, a show like this, I know Kevin and I, as audio producers, are very dazzled by the production quality. And I think we are more, I don't know, we maybe do give things a pass that are weaker writing-wise because a show like this just takes podcasting so much farther than, like, any other podcast does in terms of technology and what they're having us listen to and, and just the sound quality. As somebody who is not like a professional audio producer, do you hear what we hear or is that just for us like audio nerds? Do you hear that too? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, the details and stuff, I'm sure escape me, but it just sounds, I mean, it sounds professional, mm-hmm. you know, it sounds like the audio equivalent of going to see like a Hollywood movie or something. <laughs> what do you think is behind those biometric uh, scans that Ross keeps having to do when he calls into his office? Are they just messing with him or is there some story egg there that uh, may be revealed later? Well, I would like to think that something's coming from it. It seems like again and again with these things where it, f- it feels like the writers are dropping clues and I will reference True Detective and they just turn out to be just like little weird things they put in for mm-hmm. the hell of it. Yep. Like, listen, you guys talk about this. Do you think all these people would have signed up for it if this was the first season? I don't know. I, that's a good question. I Because it seems the, the script to me just seems absolutely run of the mill. Hmm. And, you know, and, and it was funny because Kevin was talking about how in season one, like whenever Colin was on the phone, he was always distracted and stuff like that doesn't happen in this season. Right. right. Like that was like one of the cool little things that made it seem more kind of real. Right. People weren't like just focused on exactly what they were supposed to be talking about for the show. Like you you could kind of picture them in real life, Mm -hmm. like going about their business with this being part of it. And and that's kind of gone too. I just, it really, it sounds good. The acting is certainly good, but it all seems to be in service of a sort of ho-hum Story, and I mean, there, there's some suspense and there's some mystery and stuff, but I mean, there's tons of stuff that's like that. This doesn't seem as special as the as the first season does, right? To right, me. right. Well, it's an interesting podcast. I mean, it sounds like we are all like on a slightly different place with it. Kevin, either you have one real pet peeve about it. I'm going to give you a chance to talk about it right now. The drum breaks. <laughs> I mean, they're re- you know they're really bad. Yeah, it's out of, it's it's out a, of texture. Yeah, it is. I mean, before again, it was that disorienting. Christopher you, Nolan, you know, that, that kind of uh, thing. And now 
it's like crime town drum riffs that are not as good. Yeah. It, it sounds like somebody recorded them on their iPhone or something like that. And it, it just sort of doesn't belong. It takes you out of the show. Maybe that's a weak criticism, but I, I think that unnecessary. Yeah, I think Mercedes Rule makes up for the drum breaks, but I agree with you that they're not good. But Mercedes Rule is great. She's great. And Dave, Amy Sedaris is great. And Ross from Friends is great. And Catherine Keener is always great. I don't know. All right. Well, let's just do a quick review then. Quick recommendation or not. Toby, I know you're a little bit on the fence here. Do you think our listeners should check out a second season of Homecoming? Or or should they give this one a pass? What do you think? You know, I, I don't want to say don't listen to it. I mean, it, it's fine. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Another enthusiastic review from Toby. Yeah, Ball. yeah. It's fu- I can, yeah. See, I can see them putting a that on resident wet the, blanket. Yes. Let's just put that on the book cover. <laughs> Quote: It's fine. <laughs> Toby Ball, Crime <laughs> Raiders on. <laughs> Go ahead, Toby. I'm sorry for interrupting your review there. I'm supposed to say more. Um, <laughs> I. It's not as good as the first season. I'll probably listen to the rest of it. I'm not like dying for the next episode. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Where are you at, Laura? Do you recommend that our listeners check out season two of Homecoming? Absolutely. I mean, I, like I said, the story is different this time. It's not as suspenseful for me, but this is still one of the best produced podcasts that we've listened to. It's really interesting because, you know, it's obviously a fictionalized story told through these very well-known, uh, accomplished actors. And I really think it's interesting the way that they've incorporated the iBook to supplement the story. So I'm definitely going to keep listening. And it's only like 25 minutes an episode, so it's not a huge commitment, people. It's low, low commitment, yeah. as I like to say. Yeah, yeah I, I like it too. I'm going to keep listening. I recommend that our listeners listen to it too. I'm giving it a thumbs up. And also I'm giving a thumbs up to uh, the current season of Tannis, as I think I mentioned, which I think has really upped its game as well. And I don't mean to like plug a show we're not talking about, but it does relate to this. It's a similar genre of a mystery. But it's important to remember, I think when you talk about writing, is that you know when you talk about a show like Tannis, it's not being done by Gimlet Media, the HBO of podcasts. It's being done by, yes, people who are good at production, good at writing, but these are like not actors like the quality of Catherine Keener. And so Toby does make a point that this should be better, more elevated than perhaps this season is. But I agree with Laura. It's still very, very good. And I would recommend listening to it. What do you think, Kevin? I don't think there's a sophomore slump. I just think that they're going, you know, advancing the story. I'm still into it. So I'm still going to listen. I think if you've, uh, if you liked season one, you know, what happened in those five years? Why are their memories erased? Why is it so important that they don't remember the medications wearing off and why they they don't remember things. Why does Catherine Keener's weird boyfriend dude think vermouth is a good thing to drink by itself? Yeah, I mean mystery. Like, yeah, real real mystery, <laughs> real mystery. No one drinks and, that as a yeah. drink, guys. And of course, you know what happened to Walter? Where's right. Walter? I know Walter wouldn't have left the homecoming initiative if his bed there had Brooklyn and sheets on them. Oh no, he would not have. He would still be there <laughs> no matter what. Hell yeah, he would. Brooklinen.com, high quality sheets and bedding at a price that won't keep you up at night. <laughs> See what you did there. Yeah, plus they have versatile colors and patterns that complement any decor. We all got Brooklyn in sheets, and we're about losing our freaking minds about how great these are, right? I love the sheets. You know that we have a clean pair outside of the bedroom right now that I'm like... We you just washed? <laughs> because they hold up too, right? We have two sets, right? Because I bought a second set after we got our first set because I love them so much. And when you slide between these sheets, it is different than the other sheets you own. They are crisper, they are cooler, they are higher quality, they feel good on your body, even the dogs like them better. I swear to God. (laughs) Yeah, that's what they were saying. Toby, uh, does Mrs. Ball enjoy the way the bed- Mrs. (laughs) Ball. Are you talking about my mom? (laughs) (laughs) My wife, Mrs. Walden. Um... (laughs) She kept her name. Yeah, no. I mean, she likes them. I like them. They're, they are genuinely the nicest sheets that we've ever had. Yeah, Laura, how it's, about you and the chief? We are loving these sheets. He was thinking I was a little ridiculous when I kept ranting and raving about how comfortable they were. And then he did consent and agree. And, I, you know, I also would say, you know, I got this lovely duvet cover and I had this really nice down comforter that I've had forever. But it had like rips and it just looked like crap. But I wouldn't get rid of it because it was like this quality down comforter. It is like new again. Yep. Ah. Um, now that I have this lovely duvet cover, it's like a brand new world. It is a brand new world. It's a whole new bedding world. Yeah, brooklinen.com has an exclusive offer. Just for our listeners, get $20 off and free shipping 
when you use promo code CRIME Crime. at brooklinen.com. In fact, Brooklinen is so confident that you'll love your new sheets that they offer a risk-free 60-night satisfaction guarantee and a lifetime warranty on all of their sheets and comforters. So the only way to get that $20 off and free shipping is to use promo code CRIME Crime. at brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com, promo code CRIME. Crime. Brooklinen, these are the best sheets ever. They really are. They have a lifetime guarantee. Who does that with sheets? Nobody. That's amazing. Did I do a good job on that? You did that an segue? amazing job. I want to say hi to one of our listeners, Anne, mm-hmm. who is a writer for the Canadian uh, National Post. Yes. She interviewed me. She's doing an article about podcast advertising and segues. Really? And, yes. And she interviewed me about the way that we do it and why it's fun on our, our podcast. So, Anne. You haven't uh, read the article yet, though. She might be like, yeah, she might be trashing me. Ads ever. That's what, keep, an eye out, <laughs> keep an eye out for it. So, I'm feeling so strong. And so pumped up about my skills. Yeah. I'm going to do this next one for Lola Tampons. Nice. I'm going to mansplain tampons to you ladies. <laughs> All right, wait. ladies? All right. It's about wait. time somebody did. That's right. <laughs> tamsplain that to us. It's time to tamsplain it. Major brands use a mix of synthetic ingredients in their tampons like rayon and polyester. How does that feel when you put that in your vagina, Kevin? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, kind of like uh, taking a, 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 a <laughs> <laughs> kind of like taking a, a pair of pantyhose and oh, go ahead and uh, keep wrapping around a pop. Answer. Yeah, decline to answer. Yeah, uh, I'm moving on. Uh, Lola, Lola tampons are 100% cotton with BPA-free plastic applicators and is ready, Rebecca. No, you t- pay attention. You were looking away. I am trying to mansplain this okay, to you. Okay, go ahead. Okay, it's they are fully customizable from Lola. You can choose. Whether you have a mix of light, regular, supers, uh, the number of boxes, and how often you get your delivery, because you know your body best. You know your body best, Kevin. Yes, I know. I'm just, still. I'm trying to mansplain this to <laughs> yes, you, okay? Yes, yes, so you thanks, completely thanks. understand. Lola is founded by women for women. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should let you talk nope, about. Nope. You keep going. Oh, I keep going. Keep going. You did a great job. Uh, really? Okay. So this is the part where I ask somebody who's used it to give uh, their personal experience. Uh, why don't you go ahead and do that? Well, when Kevin ordered his box of tampons, they were delivered personally to his door <laughs> in a super cute box personalized with Kevin's name. No, not my name. With the right variety for his level of flow, uh, light. <laughs> it was a light month. So you ordered more lights. You loved it. You loved that you could feel good about putting these inside your body. Did you not? You loved it. I'm so regretting this. Well, listen, you're the one who explained to me how wonderful this was. I'm just reminding you what a great experience you had. Yes, Lola tampons are amazing for men just like Kevin and women just like people who now understand because of what Kevin explained. I get it. Strong enough for a man, but these tampons are made for women. (laughs) They are. Hey, for 60% off your first order, visit mylola.com and enter crime Crime. when you subscribe. That's M-Y-L-O-L-A.com. Dot com promo code crime. crime. You've been mansplained. You have been mansplained. Wow, wow! I know so much more now. Thank you. I've got the feeling that I will never be doing an ad for my Lola by myself again. Can you please give me your definition of feminism now? Just kidding. I am so. No woke. one wants to hear that. I am so woke, ladies. Now it's time to move on to my favorite part of this podcast—a little something I like to call the crime Run of the week. week. Twelve prisoners went on the run from Walker County Jail in Jasper, Alabama last week in a big national story. And as of this recording, all 12 have been captured. In a press conference after the jailbreak, Sheriff James Underwood said the inmates had used peanut butter to escape the facility. (laughs) The prisoners, as it took out, took advantage of a new guard who was working in the control room. Underwood said they used peanut butter to obscure the number on one door and then tricked the unidentified guard into opening another door, which helped them escape. So it worked. It totally worked with peanut butter. That was until they were all captured. (laughs) And then it didn't really work after all. So here's my question for you, panel. Laura Bricker, how would you use a condiment to break out of prison to even better effect than these guys use peanut butter? I get nothing. So obviously I would be in prison for all of my sentence because I can't even think how I would use a condiment to get (laughs) out. I mean, like, who thinks of these things? I mean, I know you've got a lot of time on your hands, but I mean, this is pretty inventive. 
It is pretty inventive. What about you, Toby? Is there any way you could think of to use a food item or condiment to escape from prison? Well, Rebecca, let us think about this for a second. (laughs) (laughs) If I found myself in a pickle, I would relish the idea of mustarding my strength and running f- so far away that there's no way the cops could catch up. Wow. <laughs> Slow clap for Toby. <laughs> wow, That Toby. was amazing. What about uh, you, Kevin? How would you use a condiment to escape from prison? Uh, I'd get a jar of Smuckers because it would always get me out of a jam. Aw, that's so sweet. Nice. Or I'd put Tabasco right in his eyes. <laughs> Take that! Take that! <laughs> Screw! <laughs> Okay, Laura Brigger, before we wrap things up, important question for you. Do we have a cat of the week this week? No. So, you know, people, send me your cat pictures. The cat pictures have fallen off, and people are only sending me dog pictures lately. (laughs) So I am forced to pick another dog of the week. But this is a dog that is a faithful listener of Crime Writers On and also an adopted dog owned by our faithful listener, Rebecca, her dog, Jack, just graduated puppy school this week. Congratulations, Aww. Jack. Congratulations, indeed. And Laura Bricker, if our listeners do want to reach you on Twitter. That dog Twitter, have a lot of student loans now? <laughs> <laughs> he, he just might. He just um, might. Yeah, he got some uh, some dog bones from the Thrive Market a few weeks back. So oh. he's he is a faithful listener. He is a dog. Faithful indeed. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, Laura Bricker, if our listeners want to tweet to you, perhaps send you their photos of their cats for Cat of the Week, how can they reach you on Twitter? It's at Laura Bricker. That's L-A-R-A, right? That is L-A-R-A, yes. Now, Toby Ball, if our listeners want to tweet to you their congratulations for your incredible pros in answering this week's Crime of the Week, how can they reach you on Twitter? At Toby Ball NH. And Kevin Flynn, if our listeners want to tweet to you to show you they're on your side about how you feel about FBI profilers, how can they reach you on Twitter? Well, they would already know because they would be able to <laughs> examine the profile. What's your Twitter handle, Kevin? At Kevin P. Flynn. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Reb Lavoie and tweet to this podcast at Crime Writers On. You can also interact with fans of the show on Facebook. Sign up for our newsletter at our website, CrimeWritersOn.com, where you, of course, can buy stuff using our Amazon link. Our theme song was performed by the New York Sky Jazz Ensemble and used with permission. Line production for Partners in Crime Media is done by the very handsome Henry Lavoie. Shout out, happy 16th birthday, Henry Lavoie. Slow clap for Henry. (laughs) This show was recorded in Square Egg Studio, formerly known as Studio C, and before that, known as the closet in our basement where Kevin kept his collection of Playboy magazines. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. This is a bug-infested den. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. (sighs) And, uh, Toby, what did you have for breakfast? Uh, I had wheat checks and coffee. It's always the fucking wa- same. It's always the same. And water. Well, what do you want me to do? Not, it was grape he nuts. Has for a while. OJ. No, but there it was, was grape not. nuts. I've also had cinnamon checks. Oh. I sometimes <laughs> throw some orange juice into the mix. month is a rapidly growing service with a simple goal to make sure you love what you read browse the five best books of the month and discover titles you wouldn't have found on your own with exclusive pricing starting at just ten dollars you can get your favorites shipped to your doorstep for less book of the month bound to delight and get your first book for 10 bucks at bookofthemonth.com slash crime writers partners in crime media